It's so good to see you this morning. So thankful that you've chosen to worship with us. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. We'll focus on uh, or we'll read together 17, 1 to 7. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair uh, right in front of you. We are starting a new series today, but before we get into that, let me just acknowledge uh, what is obvious, I think, to most everybody here, uh, but there, there has been a devastating hurricane in our country this year, hit Florida first, and if you've seen just uh, the amount of devastation that's taken place, uh, it's been uh, incredible. If you live through Harvey here, you have deep uh, sympathy for what uh, people are going through, and, uh, and so we have a way to help if you want to help. Um, we have a disaster relief fund here. You just go to bayarea.church slash give and then just select disaster relief and you can give uh, any amount you want to give there. We're taking that money. We're giving it to Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, who is actually already on the ground uh, in Florida doing work. And uh, we, we just want to be a part of that. So if you're interested, you can uh, help in that particular way. And if we have more tangible ways, obviously be praying. If we have more tangible ways or the opportunity to send people, uh, we will let you know. But for now, we learned at the beginning of Hurricane Harvey, everybody wanted to send people, and what we needed was money and water, uh, those two things. And so uh, that's what we're trying to do at this moment. So you can, uh, you can give in that way. All right, so we are going to, over the next few weeks, look at the life of Elijah and Elisha in a series I want to call The Unexplainable Life. Most of us live a pretty explainable life, really. I think if you think about it for just a minute, it's pretty explainable. When you see guys like Elijah or Elisha, you see them do things and be a part of things that are all, you think that, is, that has got to be holy God. That is unexplainable. In fact, when you just think about it, oddly enough, when you think about what Jesus calls us to, the kind of life that he calls us to, it's wholly unexplainable. I mean, think about this for just a minute. The first thing he says is you should come follow me. Someone you can't see. That's unexplainable. Be born all over again. Unexplainable. Love your enemies. Again, that in our world, that is unexplainable. Forgive, not seven times, 70 times seven. Who forgives that much? It's unexplainable. The kind of life that he calls us to is wholly unexplainable. And I want us to lean into that as we look at today, Elijah. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will. We'll read 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. If you're our guest, we say this phrase, the very words, uh, at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what the scripture says. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. 
You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. You could be seated. All right, instantly, obviously, this is already unexplainable, right? Go to another place, sit by the brook. I'm going to send birds to feed you. It's unexplainable. So much of the Christian life is unexplainable. And I just, want to, I just want us to walk through this and understand it for just a minute. So what is this in context? This is the first time we hear of Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite mentioned in the scripture. Elijah the Tishbite is showing us instantly like what it means to live in a completely different way than most people uh, live. And there is a backdrop that you have to understand to get this at all. And it is the backdrop of Baalism. Baalism. So Baal is a storm god, a false god, but a storm god. And his counterpart is Asherah. All right, if you're an, an ag- agrarian society, what do you need in order for things to grow? You need rain. And so Canaanite religion says that you pray and practice sympathetic magic to Baal and Asherah to make it rain. And Baal is the source of all rain. Well, the people of Israel obviously are commanded, you shall have no other God before me by God himself. In this time period in history, Omri has a son named Ahab. And of Ahab, the scripture says, there was not a king who did more evil. So if that's your one line in the Bible, that's bad. You're probably in the bad place uh, right now. He marries a Tyrian princess named Jezebel. A lot of you have heard that name, Jezebel, right? Tyrian just means she's from Tyre, which is Lebanon or Phoenicia at that time period. And she comes with uh, this Canaanite god, Baal and Asherah and all, all that comes with it, which is horrific and terrible. And we could talk for two hours about what that looks like. But it's just bad. She says, uh, and this is a political alliance. This is a deal. This is a deal to make trade happen between the two countries, between the two governments, so that everything is uh, better economically for everybody. And so uh, she says when she marries marries Ahab, she says, I'm bringing Baal with me. And Ahab says, okay. And he, he builds her a temple to worship uh, Baal and just kind of in the beginning says, just keep it over there because we, the people of Israel, sort of worship the one true God over here. And after a while, Jezebel's like, no, it's not enough that you let me worship Baal in the land, but we need to help everybody else worship Baal too. And it moves from kind of isolated to what we would call syncretism, which is people in the land worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, and worshiping Baal at the same time. 
It's kind of like if you have crops, let's like pray both ways because, you know, two must be better than one. So we'll pray to God, the creator of the universe, for rain, and we'll pray to Baal, the storm god, for rain, and they begin to worship uh, both. And then it became worse historically in that Jezebel pushed Ahab so hard and manipulated him, and he gave in to her so much in, in such a way that it moved from just syncretism to to widespread government idolatry, all in the name of a political deal. So it says of the people at that time that they were worshiping idols under every tree. That's the historical backdrop. And then we get 1 Kings chapter 17. There was Elijah the Tishbite, which people, historians, can't even pinpoint exactly where Tishbe is uh, right now, but he is called a Tishbite. Now, his name in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, if you look at it, in, in these kind of uh, passages, names mean everything. And so Elijah means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. His name, Elijah's name, is his destiny. It is his calling. And we see that play out here. Uh, Elijah from Gilead said to Ahab, the most evil king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now that might not seem like a lot to us, but when you realize you're talking to authority, you're talking to power, and you're talking to one who has embraced Baalism, the storm god who makes it rain, Elijah now has exhibited what I'm going to call a massive amount of chutzpah and faith in our God and has said, hey, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain again. Now, how much faith in God does that take? To, to a power, to an authority, and and. How, you know, just imagine saying, by my word, it will not rain until I say it will. So he attacks Baalism at its theological core to prove that Baal is weak. Baal is a farce. Baal is non-existent. It's a fertility cult. So he, he, he attacks Baalism straight out of the, the, the chute here. Yahweh is God. The second thing we learn from this passage is that Elijah has a really uncommon faith. It's not like everybody, everybody's kind of normal faith. It seems to be a little bit off the chart. I mean, how many of you have ever claimed to somebody else, it will not rain until I say it's going to, <laughs> to rain? It's not normal. It is uncommon. It is off the chart. He is probably one of the most distinctive people in all the Bible. His life is completely unexplainable. Unexplain he's a prophet. He's a preacher. He's a political reformer. He's a miracle worker. He hates Baalism as much as Jezebel loves Baalism. And he desires to magnify God over Baal. He makes it his mission to prove Yahweh lives and Baal is dead. That's his call. Now we get the proof of that in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 to 46. When you have time, sometime you need to read this narrative account. 
This is Elijah fighting 400 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. But it's not like any fight. It's not MMA, okay? There's no ring like that. This is, this is different. So let me just paint the picture for you. Elijah goes to Mount Carmel after confrontation. 400 prophets of Baal and a crowd gather. And Elijah says, look, let's decide and let's see who really is God. And so he says to the 400 prophets of Baal, let's build an altar. You sacrifice a bull on that altar and you call on Baal to call fire down from heaven. And if he rains fire down from heaven on that altar, on that sacrifice, then we'll say Baal is God. After you finish, I'm going to do the same thing and I'm going to call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if he rains fire down on that sacrifice, we're going to say Yahweh is God. And we're going we're to decide this contest once and for all. It's going to be one way or the other. And so this is exactly what happens. If you know anything about Baalism and worship, you know that they, uh, there were, in, in the midst of the crowd as they sacrificed this bull to Baal on this altar, they, uh, they also cut themselves in a show of, uh, of, of dependence on Baal. And probably drums beating, probably people chanting. Uh, it was a pretty magnificent show. And it goes on, according to the text, for hours. So much so that Elijah, again, this is totally unexplainable. You're one guy, you've confronted Ahab, now you're 400 prophets of Baal, but nothing's happening. They're calling on Baal and nothing is happening. And so Elijah does things like this, which is why I love Elijah. He's like, hey, maybe Baal is sleeping. You read the text. It is clearly there. Maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe he's traveling or on vacation. Little time goes by. Maybe he's in the bathroom. It's all in the text. Go read it. That's a lot of chutzpah. That's a lot. And nothing happens. And so this is what Elijah does. After, after the foreign prophets of Baal have gone on and on and on, Elijah prays. He takes... Jars of water. Now, what's the problem with grabbing jars of water right, right about now? It hasn't rained for a long time because Elijah said it's not going to rain. So now he takes this, this bull, sacrifices, and he pours these jars of water over it and over it and over it multiple times. I mean, it's like pouring out gasoline on the ground when the cost of gas is $5 a gallon, Right? Or worse. It, it, it's, everybody's got to be, what are you doing? He's making it impossible for God to burn this thing up. Among other things. And so he calls on God. And instantly we have fire from heaven. If you read this passage. Fire from heaven. It licks up every bit of the water, every bit of the sacrifice. And it says the people of the, the prophets of Baal and all the people are strewn for miles after that. Dead. But before they die, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39, toward the end of the passage, 
It says, and when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Do you remember what Elijah's name means? Yahweh is God. The Lord, he is God. They begin to chant all that is true about the one true God. God uses the uncommon faith of Elijah to do this. You might be saying to yourself, um, that's great, but I'm no Elijah. Was anybody thinking that? Like, I'm probably not going to crawl up a mountain and challenge 400 prophets of Baal. It's probably not in my story, probably not what, I, what I'm called to do. But the good news is you don't have to be Elijah. You have to be you. The Bible says this in James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Listen to this part, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What James is saying in the New Testament to people that are listening to him is, look, Elijah, he put his pants on one leg at a time, too. It's not about trying to be Elijah. It's placing your faith in the God of Elijah. And just being Rick or Brian or Denise or whoever. You don't have to be Elijah. You have to be you, but you have to put your faith in the God of Elijah. Now, here's the third thing we learn, I think, from this passage. It's really practical. The unexplainable life answers the question, who is God? The unexplainable life answers the question, who is God? My life, your life, if we're living this unexplainable life that we're called to, it answers the question, who is God? It leaves people saying, the Lord, he is God. And I think you have to ask yourself, is my life anything like that? Is it explainable or is, this, is it this unexplainable life that leaves people saying, man, God is amazing. How would you know if you're living an unexplainable life? There are about three things that I think are characteristic of an unexplainable life. We see them in the life of Elijah. And we, I see them in the life of everyday people who live uh, on mission with God for the glory of his name, for the good of people. And here are those things. The first one is this, is that the unexplainable life articulates the truth about God. The unexplainable life articulates the truth about God. Imagine if Elijah had not said anything about Baalism. Eh, it's okay. What's good for them is good for them. What's good for me is good for me. Said nothing. No, he didn't live like that. He lived in an unexplainable way confronted Ahab, the power driving Baalism, demonic false worship in the culture. An unexplainable life articulates the truth about God at the grassroots in the everyday. I think sometimes we're silent about God for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we're not 
sure how people are going to react to that. Sometimes we, we think to ourselves, you know, I might not have all the answers. They may have questions. I, I might not have the uh, answers to you. Do you think, like ever Elijah was saying, it might actually rain even though I said it didn't? It wouldn't? Do you think he was saying, will God, you know, like toss fire from heaven when I call for it? Like now. Yeah, he probably had some of those thoughts. He's human. Some of those fears. And we do too. We, ha- we have those things. But someone who is articulating the truth of the gospel articulates that this truth about God with a perfect combination of compassion and courage. A compassion for people that are either worshiping false gods or lost altogether. And a courage that says, even in the culture that I'm in, even, in the, even, if, even if it's not cool to articulate the truth about God, I'm going to do that in loving and compassionate ways. So people hear the truth. Uh, a person who is articulating the truth about God points out the God moments in life. Like, lets other people see, like, this is how God is at work. She shares what God is teaching her. Applies the wisdom of God to everyday life. Shares the good news of Christ. Shares the story of God in her life. I mean, think about this for just a minute. When was the last time you just told somebody how Christ changed your life? Someone who is living the unexplainable life articulates these things. You don't have to call down fire from heaven. But we are called to articulate the truth about God in our culture. We face Baalism just in different ways. Same, same game, 21st century. Different time, different people, different geography, but same game. Same game. There's only one God, and Satan masks that truth with so many counterfeits. So think about it. Do you articulate the truth about God at the grassroots? That's something someone who's living the unexplainable life does. The second thing that someone who lives an unexplainable life does is walks in uncommon obedience. Walks in uncommon obedience. In other words, it's not just words, but people actually see in the demonstration of your life that you hear and obey God. I love what 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 5 says of Elijah. It says, if you go back there, it says that God had just told him to, to depart from the place he was and go to the east to the brook Cherith. And in verse 5, it says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he did what the Lord told him to do. And this is the thing, is that it's common in our culture for people to know what the Lord wants them to do, but not do it. That's common. Uncommon obedience would be hearing the word of the Lord and obeying it. Doing that thing that he's called us to do, either explicitly in the context of the scriptures or uniquely as he speaks to you through your prayer and your study of the scriptures by his spirit. We walk in uncommon obedience. This is the man, woman, or child living the unexplainable life, obedient to God's word in our culture, living morally, 
according to the word of God. Rejecting cultural norms that the Bible rejects with our own lives. I'm not talking about holding up a picket sign. I'm talking about demonstrating it with our lives in obedience to God. We obey in the everyday with our time, our money, our relationships, our work, etc. This is the obedience of Elijah. It's uncommon. It's uncommon to say, it's not going to rain until I ask God to make it rain. It's just uncommon obedience to be like that. Here's a third thing that we learn from this passage of Scripture about Elijah, and I think it applies to us. Not only do we articulate the truth about God, not, not only do we walk in obedience that is uncommon to God, but we demonstrate extreme faith in the one true God. We demonstrate extreme faith in the one true God. So you may think to yourself, like, I don't even know what extreme faith would look like in our culture. So let me start in a simple way. Probably prayer is the simplest and most profound evidence of extreme faith in God. If you actually have a prayer life, it's evidence that you have an extreme faith in God. Paul Miller, who wrote a book called The Praying Life or A Praying Life, he said this, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We're so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production instead of the power of God. So think about that for just a minute. It's really explainable, our accomplishments and production. You know, to accomplish and produce in the context of the the United States of America, uh, you just, you need to work hard. And go for it. And people can accomplish and produce without God. You don't need God to, to, to check that box in the world, in this part of the world. But it doesn't mean that you're living in an unexplainable life just because you're accomplishing or producing. That's the American thing. The biblical thing is how dependent are we on God in walking in his power, and your prayer life is indicator of that. Your prayer life shows you, are you dependent on God? So ask yourself, I mean, is, is my prayer life, you know, just like God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food, amen, two or three times a day? Or do you find yourself on your face, quieted before God on a consistent basis, because you're dependent on him. Someone that exhibits a, and demonstrates an extreme faith in one true God, he has a prayer life that's uncommon. The, James 5.16, I've already quoted it, but I'll, I'll reiterate this one part. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. It is the prayer of Elijah that stopped the rain in those days. So prayer is key. But beyond that, we even have to take actions when things seem unexplainable. You know, uh, anybody ever have a problem like jumping off a high dive when you were, I don't know, eight, seven, six? 
Raise your hand. Be loud. Be proud. Okay, yeah. Even though your dad or whoever was down at the bottom like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue you when you, you're like, no. Huh? I don't want to. I want to say I jumped off a high dive without jumping off the high dive. Right? Well, some people live the, the Christian life like that. They want to say they're living the Christian life, but they never take the action that demonstrates you're actually living the, the Christian life. And so, yes, prayer is, is the simple and most profound evidence of extreme faith in God. But then the next thing would be actually taking the steps, taking the action that God, God calls you to do as, as that's revealed to you in prayer and the study of Scripture. So... I mean, think about it in the Bible, Noah and the ark. How many of you would want to be Noah? It's never rained up to that time. God says, Noah, build an ark because it's going to rain and it's going to flood the whole earth. I mean, people are making fun of that dude for a long time, building a boat. They, didn't even, they haven't seen rain. Noah and the ark. What about, what about Moses and the Red Sea? Follow me. We're going to get out of here. Here's the sea. Don't worry, God will part it. Mm. He needs to take action, right? He needs to believe that God will provide and do the things that God says he will do. The, the priests and the Jordan River, before they come into the promised land, they're carrying this like Ark of the Covenant, and it says that the river is at flood stage, and God says, cross it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it back. Just cross it, and it, do, it says, that the text clearly says it doesn't even move until they put their feet in it, right? So the bank is like this. You got that arc. If it touches you, you die, so you're balancing it, all that kind of stuff. And you have to trust that when I actually put my foot in this raging water, God is going to push it back, and he does, according to the Scripture. What about David and Goliath? Five stones, against a giant with armor and technology and an armor bearer and all this stuff. I mean, it, this, this is all through the Bible. How about the disciples and just like five loaves and two fishes? Like, Jesus, we have this boy's lunchable. <laughs> what can you make? What can you do with it? We have 5,000 people here. Who's wanting to bolt at that time? You know, but not them. They take action. They believe, right? It's all through the scriptures. And, and I, I don't think it goes away just because we live in 21st century America. That, that, that this idea that the unexplainable life is about a prayer life that's accompanied by obedience and action when we actually hear from God. I think it's a cop out. I'll just be honest while I'm being honest. I think it's a cop-out when people say they, they don't hear God. You know why? I don't think they get, most people don't tr try. They don't stop. They don't listen. They don't open the word. They don't ask God to speak to them. Because usually when people will say that, I will just say, hey, when was the last time you, like, stopped? Open your Bible. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Listen to him, Right? God is very faithful to speak, and he will actually tell you what he wants you to do through the Scripture and by his Spirit often. Sometimes you'll wrestle with it. Sometimes you'll struggle with it. 
all of those kinds of things. Yes, yes, yes to all of it. But the struggle is worth it. And when you know, like, he's asking you to do something, I say take the step. Take the step. Um, and this is the, this is the difference between consumer Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus hears and obeys God. A consumer Christian sits and listens to content and goes away and comes back. This is way different. Way different. So someone who is living an unexplainable life demonstrates extreme faith in the one true God. Also, this kind of faith is not mustered up. Like, have, have you ever thought, like, okay, I'm going to have extreme faith today. I'm going to, like, muster this up. Like, somehow, all of a sudden, right? Like, like tomorrow, I'm going to go, and I'm going to deadlift 500 pounds. I don't care what you say. No, I'll be in the hospital because I can't. I'm not just going to muster that up, right? You, you don't just muster up, like, faith like this. You know how it happens? One day at a time, one conversation with God at a time, one act of obedience at a time, over a lifetime. Over a lifetime. It's that consistent, long game of hearing and obeying God. And sometimes he will call you to extreme things. And sometimes he will call you to the mundane. But all I know from Elijah is that he was one who articulated the truth about God. He walked in uncommon obedience to God. He demonstrates extreme faith in the one true God. And that is the same call that you and I have on our lives as followers of Jesus. It's very clear. Just a sidebar for parents and grandparents. Living this kind of life in Christ that's unexplainable in front of your children is the best gift you could ever give them. I hope you do have a faith talk every week. I hope you sit with them and, and talk to them about the scriptures and help them memorize that. But, but the most important thing that we can do as parents and grandparents is actually model what it means to walk with Jesus in unexplainable ways in a world that expects us to be explainable. So we actually believe that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and we're dependent on God. So we're going to pray for, for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit today. And they see you praying. They see you making decisions with your time and money. That doesn't make sense in the world, but like you're giving that. You're helping someone in a way that the world wouldn't. You know, these unexplainable things, they're the best teachers for the next generation. They need to see it modeled. I'm convinced my kids don't need one more fill in the blank. They've heard all of it, pretty much. They need to see it. They need to see it. And the same thing is true for all of our, our kids. And so we demonstrate this in authenticity. Okay. Let's say we do this. We embrace a new way of living. Like we leave here, the 930 worship service at Bay Area Church, and we say, today, I'm going to embrace a new way of living. 
I think I want to live the unexplainable life. I'm tired of the explainable, mostly because it's very explainable. I'd like to live this life that Jesus talks about and that we see evidenced in Elijah's life for real. And so maybe your response just needs to be, Lord, help me to trust you for that. Maybe it needs to be, hey, my prayer life is non-existent. And so tomorrow, I'm just going to get up 15 minutes earlier, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And if you don't know how to pray, just start with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And just begin to tell him all the ways he's holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right here in my life, in my family life, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. Pray for the people in all those places. Just start there. 15 minutes. Ask him to move. When he whispers things in your ear during the day, actually take action. I, I, you won't believe when you start with prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear him all day long, how he will whisper into your ear to do things, to say things, to help with things, to serve people, all those kinds of things. And so actually take action. Start living this unexplainable life that is just a consistent hearing and obeying day in and day out. Because there may be one day some of you are called to confront 400 prophets of Baal. Probably not all of you, but maybe some of you. And you want those consistent days of hearing God and obeying God for when that moment comes. You already know you can trust Him because of all that you've seen and heard. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes. And just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Father, we uh, are so grateful for your grace to us. I pray that by your Spirit... You would just speak into each one of our lives right now that we can, in ways we can hear you the rest of the day as we think about these things in ways we can hear you. Father, will you give us an unexplainable life? one that the world may not understand, but is evidenced by your power. Let our lives just scream, you are God. Let our lives um, demonstrate your grace and your love to people, the truth of who you are. And, and let our lives answer the question who you are in the world that we live in. I thank you for this picture that Elijah has given us in his life. I pray that you would help us to embrace the truth that we've learned today. Father, we repent where we need to repent, where we have been so full of self or 
whatever, God, that we, we haven't taken time to, to hear you. Forgive us for that. You're the sovereign king of the universe. Ahab has nothing on you. And so, God, would you, would you give us the, the ability, the courage, the strength to stop and to hear from you? We love you so much. We thank you. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.